Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. So the next several weeks we're going to be talking about cultural Christianity and uh, how that's something, if, if pursued, um, will lead us to a place of oftentimes a great deal of confusion uh, and, and, and disenchantment in our, in, our, in our walk and in our faith. Wikipedia, of course we can all trust Wikipedia, whatever Wikipedia says. Wikipedia defines a cultural Christian as a secular or non-religious individual who still significantly identifies with Christian culture. A secular or non-religious individual who still significantly identifies with Christian culture. I wonder this morning in church after church after church across America if there's a lot of people sitting in pews across this country who are basically secular and non-religious in, in terms of the fact that they don't have a relationship with Jesus, but they identify with Christian culture thinking, if I'm in church, if I'm connected to, to a body of believers somewhere, it all washes out okay. It's all going to come out good in the end because I, I believe there's a God. I just don't know him personally. And I believe he exists. And I believe he's there. So we're going to juxtapose this position of cultural Christianity today with true discipleship. What does it mean to be a true disciple? What does that look like? Well, it looks like a costly endeavor, and it looks like a life-changing experience, but let's flesh those two things out a little bit. If we will. Turn to the 14th chapter of Luke, if you will. We're going to look at Luke 14, verses 25 to 33. Our, our, all of our text today is in Luke, so it uh, shouldn't be too, too hard for you to find, plus the text is on the screen as well. Luke 14, verse 20, verses 25 to 33 says this. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said... If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, such a person cannot be my disciple. And those who do not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciples. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation, while the other is still a long way off, and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Stark scripture here. Uh, let's break this down a little bit. Walk, a, a costly endeavor is initially walking away, looks like initially walking away from family. Walking away from family. Look at verse 26. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not, watch this, hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, such a person cannot be, be my disciple. Now, I don't believe hate here is a literal term. I think it's a comparative term. I think he's saying in comparison to your love for me, if, you, if that doesn't look like hate compared to every, your love for everything else and everyone else, you're in the wrong place. You're not a disciple of mine. So he's, this is a radical request from a radical himself. You know, I look at Paul's writing sometimes in the New Testament, and I think, this is a radical guy. 
I mean, I trust that it's all infallible, it's all true. But when I look at the writings of Jesus, and I, and I see the things he said himself, you may have red letter edition of your Bible, the words are in red. When I look at the things he said, my ears kind of, I don't know about you, but my ears kind of perk up. My ears kind of say, I, I know this to be true. I know this to be accurate. I believe it's, I believe it's accurate from Paul and other, other, uh, those of, uh, other writers we have in Scripture as well. But my, my attention, is, attention span is a little quicker, a little, little more uh, on tune when, when I hear the words of Jesus. Uh, but so this is kind of radical teaching from, from again, a, a radical himself and was seen as a radical by those around in his day. Many around the world today are forsaking family to follow Jesus. Not yet is that true in America where that, where that has to happen. And I say yet because if we don't speak up, stand up, that day is coming. Yet we're not there yet. So we can pray for those who do. Many in China are being put to death for their faith this morning in underground churches. Um, I recall actually a, a trip two years ago to Nicaragua and sitting in the, in the living room of a, of a family there. There were three generations in this household. Both uh, grandfather and grandmother were present and then a daughter and then her son and, and another daughter. And we were sharing Christ with this family. I could tell they were, they were extremely steeped in Catholicism, although they, they didn't attend church anywhere, but Catholicism in Nicaragua is as much cultural as it is spiritual and far more, far more political than it is spiritual. Anyway, we're sharing the gospel with this family, and uh, I can see the eye contact that I'm making with this young man in, in, in the living room, that God's dealing with his heart. With his heart. So uh, I, I turn to each one and, and kind of make a confrontation with each one to say, is that something you're ready to do today? And first with, uh, I've been there enough to know you start with the oldest in the room. If you're going to have any respect and any, any credibility. So I'll start with the grandfather, and I get a, I get a, a no head shake from him. So look at the grandmother. She looks at the grandfather. I get a no head shake from her. I get a ask the daughter the same question. She looks at the grandfather. I get a no head shake from her. I look at her son. He doesn't look at the grandfather. He said yes. Grandfather speaks up, <clears throat> and I ask the translator to translate back to me what grandfather says. He says, if this person, if, if my son, uh, I can't remember the kid's name now, but anyway, if, if my grandson accepts Christ, he's out of this house. I, I look at him just like that. Are you serious? You're going put to put your own grandson out of the house by, for accepting Christ? He responds, yes. The end of that story is the grandson ends up accepting Christ, going to live with a friend for a while. We, we find out later, come, coming back home, he leads his mother to Christ. His grandmother is, is uh, I've been told, open to the gospel. So God's working in all of that. But anyway, um, there, there's a price to pay around the world for trusting Jesus as your Savior and choosing to walk with him and choosing to, to be a true disciple of his. It will sometimes cost you family. Uh, it's sad when that occurs, but it sometimes will. Uh, and, and again, we're, we're not there yet in this country, and I hope we never do until the Lord comes. But uh, it's, it's, it's time we stand up for truth. Walking away from family. Secondly, it, it, a costly endeavor looks like walking away from comfort. Look at verse 27 with me. And, and those who do not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciples. Those who do not carry their cross and follow me. The cross here is a symbol of, of torture and a symbol of pain and a symbol of death. It's a symbol of everything wrong and everything bad 
in that culture. And, and it, Jesus uses that to, metaphorically to speak to them to say, you're going to bear a cross if you follow me. You're going to be in pain if you follow me. It's going to, there's going to be some things that, that it's going to be a, a costly walk if, you, if you're going to choose to follow me. It's going to be something that, that is not only uh, there's a price to pay, but the price to pay could be severe. It may, it may cost you your own, your own, your very life. So being a disciple is going to be difficult. It's my opinion, and uh, you don't have to agree with this, but you can if you want. It's my opinion that about 60% of our pursuits in life are about meeting needs, basic needs of life, food, clothing, shelter, transportation. And the other 40% goes largely, largely toward comfort. Our pursuits go toward comfort. That's not evil on, on, on the face of, its, of, of that equation necessarily, but what I want you to see, and I, I, I shared this story with you about Nicaragua intentionally to say this, uh, in comparison to, to, to the average Nicaraguan, if you have a place to live, a vehicle, and at least three changes of clothes, you have more than greater than 90% of the possessions of people in Nicaragua and the people of the world, for that matter. If you have a place to live, a vehicle to drive, and at least three changes of clothes, you have more than 90% of the people on the globe. What does that tell us? It tells us that we're extremely blessed as a people, for one, as a nation, but it also tells us that there's, there's cost to pay, uh, that, that our pursuit of comfort long-term will lead us into a place that is usually, not always, but usually away from God. Our own comfort leads us away from his will, his divine plan for us. Thirdly, not only does a costly endeavor look like walking away from family, walking away from comfort, but thirdly, it looks like walking away from our possessions. Look at verse 33. He says there, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. There's got to be more in life than accumulation. And there is. It's just that many of us don't find it. It's, uh, it's found in, in either giving away the things we, beyond our basic needs, and we talked about those a minute ago, but give, starting to learn to give things away beyond our basic needs being met, or walking away from it to the extent that it has no hold, no allure, and no attraction to you. Boy, that's difficult in, our, in, in the American culture you and I live in, to walk away from the, 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 the allure, the, the, the attraction, the, the draw of, of material things because we are, we are a materialistic culture and, and uh, oftentimes can't see the evil in, in not that item, but the desire for it and the hunger for it and the fact that it replaces a desire and can often replace the desire for the Lord and, and his way and his will for our life. So the question I want to ask for you here is, what do you desire more than anything? What do you desire more than anything? Second question is this. Is that the meeting of that desire, is that at your own hand or at the hand of God? Is that something you can provide for yourself by your own means, your own, your own work of your own hands? Or is that something only God can provide and only God can do? What do you desire and is and are those things from God's hand or from your hand? Um, sobering question. Turn to Luke chapter 9. Lest you think this, is, this encounter here with, uh, with Jesus and his teaching is, is uh, somehow the exception to the rule, I want you to look at uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62 with me. And this, this won't be on the screen, but if you, if you have your Bible, turn there. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, 
Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Noble thing, right? Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, watch this. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Stark teaching from the Lord Jesus himself about the cost of being a disciple, the cost of following him. Uh, and it, it is, uh, I don't think he does that for shock value. I think he does that to say, again, using hate as a comparative word to say, what, you, what, what draws you to this world and what draws you to the people of this world should look like hate compared to what draws you to me, compared to your pursuit of me and your love for me by comparison. Uh, is God asking us to lay down our family and walk away from our family and our vocations and our Oftentimes not, but a willingness to. Oftentimes not, but a willingness to, if that's what it takes to find his best for me, I'm willing to lay it all down to follow him, to know him, to find his will and his way, and his plan, his purpose, and his design for my life. Turn to Luke chapter 5. I want us to look at this idea of it being a life-changing experience. I'm going to look at verses 1 through 11 together, Luke chapter 5. He says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were uh, crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, uh, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said, Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let, the net, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees, fell at Jesus knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. A life-changing experience for these fishermen that day. I want us to look at three things here as, as, from this encounter here with these guys. A life-changing experience calls us to a deeper place. Calls us to a deeper place. Look at verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he told Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Put out into a deeper place and let down your nets for the catch. Now, I'm not a great fisherman. I'm not a, I don't fish enough to be a great fisherman. But I do know this. Deep water is not where you catch most of the fish. Certainly around here. Uh, if you're fishing the lakes and streams and rivers here, you want to go into a cove, you want to find a shallower place <clears throat> where the water is warmer. Deep water is cool and fish slow down when deep, in, in cooler water <clears throat> and go deeper. So it's out, out in the channel from the, in the lakes around here is not usually the place to catch fish. And so uh, it can oftentimes be a place of risk and a place of danger. <clears throat> so here this story is Jesus, who's not a fisherman, 
he's a great teacher because we'll see here in just a moment uh, how Simon is, is impressed by the word that he shared. But a non-fisherman gets into a boat, pushes out from the shore, starts teaching, gets tired, tired and, and, and at the end of his teaching, says, let's put out into deeper water. I can see Simon Peter rolling his eyes. Let's put out deeper water, guys. Rowing out into deeper water. Hey, let's, let's sit down. Let's let, let some nets down for a catch. Okay. Uh, and the nets, and you know the story, let, 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 let down the nets. And so enough fish come into both boats, fill up both boats until both boats are starting to sink here, as the story goes. And... I, I, again, I can see the the the, the kind of okay on Simon, on Simon's face, but he did it anyway. You know, he didn't say, "Come on, Jesus, I'm a professional. This is what I do for a living." He didn't say any of that. He puts out a deeper water and finds himself in a place of obedience. Why? Because of the respect for the word. I think that, it, that verse one tells us. One day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. The word of God made an impact on, on Peter's life. And so, such to the degree that he's willing to walk away from what he knows and abandon what he knows to follow what Jesus tells him to do, that ends up being the best news of his life. Now, that, there's a great lesson in that for you and I. That is, the deeper place is where we find the deeper walk. The deeper place is where we find the deeper things of God. It, it, it requires trust to get there, but... In his mind, Jesus had earned it, and, and he had because, because Simon follows his, his, uh, his lead there because of the authority of the Word of God. The question is this. Does the thing Jesus says, the things he says in this book have authority in your life? To the extent that you're willing to change your lifestyle, change your belief system, change your habits, change the people you hang with, change the things that are important to you and the things that aren't because of the things the Word of God says. Peter was willing to do that in, in this moment. He was willing to they head out into the deep. Second thing is this. A life-changing experience calls us to more than we've ever, we've ever known. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me. It calls us to more than we've ever known. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the, in, the, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. The catch here revealed that the guide, the fisherman guide, uh, knew what he was talking about. Again, most fish aren't caught in deeper water. In fact, they're in the shallows. Uh, I, I was fished with a guide one time, Le uh, Leanne's brother Dean and I, we, we were vacationing with him in Florida a number of years ago, and he said, let's run down to Okeechobee. It's one of the great bass fishing lakes in all of America. And so uh, he said, let's run down to Okeechobee and, and fish for a couple of days. I said, I'm all in, so let's go. So we, get, we load up and load up the gear and head in the truck and get the boat and head down to South Florida. Lake Okeechobee, it's a huge lake. It's, in fact, parts of it you can't see from one side to the other side of it. You can't see the other side of the lake. It's that big. And so we get down there, and uh, he says, I think we ought to hire a guide. So whatever you think. I mean, this is your territory. It's not mine. So we hire a guide. <clears throat> he heads out. We head out in the boat behind him. He says, what do you want to catch? Now let's, let's try some bass for, for some largemouth. So he leads us into a cove. We catch uh, maybe 10 bass in 20 minutes in this cove. Well, that was fun. Let's, get, let's go catch some crappie. He said, now, I know a good spot if, if you really want to catch crappie. You 
and because Crawford put up a lot of fight for a small fish. Really fun to catch. He said, you want to catch some crappie? I said, okay, well, let's, let's, go, let's go get some crappie. So he leads us to this point where two coves, coming out of two coves down, down to a point. And it's fairly shallow. In fact, in some places, it's shallow enough to see the bottom. And so he backs us off of the bank about 50, 60 feet, throw toward the bank and pull toward the boat. First cast, both of us, hook one. Second cast, both of us, hook one. Third cast, both this goes on for about 20 minutes. Every cast, we catch a fish. The guide was worth the money the day that day we hired the guide. All I'd say, when the guide guides you into places that is unknown, that is, uh, that is sometimes even foreign to you, you can trust his guide. You can trust his leadership. You can trust his direction. You can trust his instruction. He's the guide. In fact, whatever you do for a living, he's an expert at it. He's an expert at whatever you do for a living. You can trust his guidance. You can trust his truth. You can trust his, his heading you in, into a deeper place every time. Why? Because he sees ahead of you. He knows what's there before you get there, before you turn the corner. And his leadership, his guideship can be, can be uh, trusted. Uh, and, and again, these guys were professionals at what they did. And he blew the professionals away at what he knew. And he'll do that with you and me too. He'll blow, us, he'll blow our trust away if we'll learn to trust him. And again, and again, and again, he'll blow our trust away if we'll learn to trust him beyond what is convenient, beyond the known, and what's predictable. Thirdly, a life-changing experience doesn't just call us to a deeper place and call us to more than we've ever known. But thirdly, a life-changing experience calls us to total abandonment. A life-changing experience calls us to total abandonment. Look at verse 11 with me again. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. They left their boats. In essence, they left their vocations there. They left probably the, the biggest catch that they had ever made in, in, in their life, in, their, in the history of their, their fishing business. In fact, <clears throat> most theologians will, <clears throat> will, will uh, calculate that catch. Both boats, fish running over the edges of both boats until the both boats are starting to sink. Most theologians will, will, will equate that, that amount of catch to a year's worth of wages for fishermen in that day and time. So if we calculate that out to today's, in today's language, in today's world, average annual income in America is $35,000 a year per person. Uh, my question is this. Are you willing to leave the boat, leave $35,000 on the table to follow him? What is your fellowship worth? How much is your discipleship worth? Worth a year's worth of wages for you? to walk away from that, to walk with him. How much is that worth to you? How much of a price are you willing to pay? They're willing to do that. They left, every, they left their vocations. They left their families. Uh, everything means everything. Uh, it's, it's kind of a stark thing to walk away from family. To follow him, as I said, I witnessed that firsthand in that living room that day. It got my attention, believe me. Uh, but I'm reminded of a <clears throat> story I've told some of you before, my, my dad's parents died uh, real close to each other when he was in his early teens. And he had a younger brother and a younger sister. His two older brothers were off in the war. Had a younger brother and younger sister. And he was by himself, had no other family around, so he, was, he couldn't take care of them. So he goes to his local church. They take up an offering to get him to uh, a train ticket to Franklin, Tennessee to, to drop off his younger sister and younger brother at an orphanage there 
in Franklin. And he doesn't tell them what's, what's going on until he gets there. So he goes to the orphanage, and so uh, there he's signing paperwork to leave them there. And uh, you can imagine the, the, the angst in the younger brother. And he's, like I said, probably 13, 14 himself. And they're like seven and, and nine or ten. And uh, crying to, to come back with him, not wanting to stay there by themselves. Again, they've lost both parents in a short period of time, and he's the only family they've got. He was telling me this story one time, and I said, what, uh, how, how, how did you walk away from that? How did, how did you get away from that, that story? He said, well, and I, he said, I'm not sure I convinced him, but I told him, you're going to have a better life away from me than with me. A better life away from me than with me because I've got nothing. I've got no job. I've got no place to stay. In fact, the, the train, train ride was one way. He had to hitchhike, hitchhike back to Knoxville. But uh, he said, you're going to have no life with me. I can't take care of you. You're going to have a better life away from me than you are with me. I know that's hard to believe right now, but you'll thank me one of these days. And they, and they did after growing into adulthood. But you can imagine the angst of that sense of abandonment of, of pulling away from a young brother and a young sister and, and they with him. The anxiety and the fear I know that was in their hearts. But this was really uh, telling in my life this week because I, God gave me this thought and I want to share it with you. It's this in, in true discipleship, as opposed to cultural Christianity, in true discipleship, we're leaving everything to follow Him, which is really leaving nothing to have everything. We think we're leaving everything to follow him, but we're really leaving nothing to gain everything. That's a hard equation in the culture you and I live in to grasp and to digest and to live and to put into, into practice, and, and even harder for that to, to be a contagion where it moves from us to someone else. Because this culture is centered on itself and, and, and certainly not on Christ, but and it's that, that has filtered out into the life of many believers who, who are themselves centered on themselves and not on him. But a true disciple of Christ looks like them walking away, leaving nothing to have everything. Being a true disciple of Jesus is a radical step out of cultural Christianity. It's a radical step out of cultural Christianity. Question is, are you ready to take that step? Is that a step you're willing to take? Are you willing to, to move out into deeper water to find a deeper place? Are you willing to move into the unknown to find the known that you've been searching for perhaps your entire, your entire life and it's in a place where you would least expect it, where you would least seem to catch fish, where you would least seem to have the, the amount of production you think you should have, your life should have? And is that, is that a step you're willing to take today? Or are you willing to stay where you are falling from a safe distance? What a safe distance does, it allows us to see what happens and then develop a game plan for how we're going to respond. We're going to respond to what has just happened. True discipleship is out in the deeper place saying, I'm, I'm on the bottom without his help. I'm on the bottom without his hand. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in deep water. I can't, my foot can't, feet can't touch the bottom here. I'm in, I'm in a deeper place. And so I'm only going to make it with God's help. I'm only going to find his will and his plan, his design, in my true discipleship of following him regardless of the cost and regardless of where he takes me. Or are you not a follower at all? You've never prayed to receive Christ. You know a lot of scripture. You know some songs. You've been to church a lot. But there's never been a specific point where God's, 
It's help you recognize your lostness and you've trusted him as your Savior. I want to invite you to do that today, to move into a deeper place if you know him and to find him for the first time if you don't. Because discipleship is costly. And I want to be honest with you, right? he was honest with you. <laughs> it looks like hate. Your, your love for me compared to everything else should look like hate. That's what true discipleship looks like. At the price most Christians, I'm just, Christians, I'm just going to be honest with you, are not willing to pay. But the ones that are, find a deeper walk. They find an understanding. They find design. They find something. They, they learn to see some things through a lens that they've never looked at before. And things start to take shape. Things start to make sense in their life and in their world. I encourage you to move into a deeper place and move out of cultural Christianity into true discipleship. Let's pray. Father, today, would you help us to see that a move into, into what you've called us to and, ha and have, have designed for us, really, before we were ever born, is a costly move. It's a move that, by comparison to what this world says and does and the direction it goes, is radical. It is, it, it is radically different than, than the direction this world is, is walking in. And so, as you reveal those things to us, would we sense the leadership of your spirit and follow his lead? Would we see your hand at work and be willing to follow it? Even if it says, pushes us into an unknown place that we've never been before, an uncomfortable place that we can't predict the outcome of, like we, uh, it moves us out of the safety of our own decisions and our own comfort and our own world. It may cost us some relationships sometimes. It may cost a job. It may cost other things that are that are more, more uh, insignificant than that, but the significant things are laid at your feet here by folks who, by, certainly by Peter, James, and John, and this story by others around as well, to say, I'm walking away from everything to trust you, but in essence, I'm leaving nothing to gain everything when I do that. Would you help us to see the value in you as opposed to the value of things in this world and pursue true discipleship with you. Find ourselves at your feet saying, God, whatever you want, wherever that is, I'm willing to do, I'm willing to go, I'm willing to be who you've called me to be. Let me be a disciple of yours, a true disciple of yours, and move beyond cultural Christianity or Christianity of convenience into a deeper place, a deeper walk with you. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.